0: and uh, preach the word. Thank you. Well, it is good to be here. I bring you warm greetings from OBC South. Also, uh, Eric or I'm sorry, uh, Chris Peterson called me this morning around 7:30 and said that Eric and uh, Pat did arrive safely, as you've already heard, and they wanted to send their warmest greetings to you from Mumbai. Uh, We need to pray that God will bless their work there. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10. We're going to look at a story of the healing of blind Bartimaeus. We're going to look at some elements of saving faith. And as I unfold this passage, you'll understand why I say elements of saving faith. Let us pray. Our Father, as we peer into the Holy Scriptures, I pray that we would look at them with reverence and awe. And as we consider the word preached, we would hear it as the word of Christ. We beseech your spirit to come And dwell in the midst of your church to help us in hearing and to help in the proclamation of this holy word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning in verse 46 of Mark's gospel. Then they came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man saying to him, take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Now, it is important as we understand this text that we understand the context. The context is pivotal between the prior and the following events. Verse 15 tells us that you must receive the kingdom like children or you will not receive it at all. Again, the rich young ruler is encountered by Jesus in verses 17 and following, and he goes away saddened and unconverted. He has no faith. He had everything and he saw nothing. Bartimaeus had nothing and by faith he sees everything. In verses 35 and following, the disciples James and John selfishly ask for special positions or privileges. They are supposedly insiders but are somewhat clueless and self-centered followers in the light of who Jesus had declared who he was. In chapter 11... Moving on beyond the text, we find the triumphal entry. It's the gateway to Jerusalem just ahead. And with lip service, crowds echo this blind man's announcement of the son of David. The cries of Hosanna go up. Many of those prove to have no faith. Bartimaeus cries out in true faith. And then chapter 11, verses 15 and following further on, it's the Passover week in Jerusalem. The long shadow of the cross is now cast upon Christ's path. And after Jesus enters Jerusalem, he will run into the conflict with the religious leaders. He will be brought to trial and be put to death as an atoning sacrifice. Jesus had just announced in this context that he would be condemned to die a brutal death and rise again on the third day. Verses 33 and 34 of chapter 10, he basically pronounces the gospel. But the key passage as we move to this text and healing of Bartimaeus is verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The entire Bible is summed up basically in this one verse. Through faith, blind Bartimaeus is among the many ransomed from his sin and from his misery. But not only is it pivotal, there is a remote context that helps us to understand just how providential this passage is. You notice it says in verse 46 this takes place in the town of Jericho. Jericho is where Joshua led Israel to his first victory. Hebrews 11:30 By faith the walls of Jericho fell down and Israel was on its way to obtaining the promises of God as they entered the gateway to the promised land. But Jesus the New Testament Joshua is here in this city bringing redemption. Today By faith, greater walls than Jericho will come down. Through faith, blindness will be turned into sight. By faith, even greater than that, a disciple for Jesus will be made. But also in Jericho, this is where the story of the Good Samaritan took place, on the Jericho Road. A man, if you remember, was accosted by thieves and was laying on the road, wounded, half dead. A priest and a Levite, the spiritual leaders of the church, passed him by. They were on their way to temple, probably to do services. But Jesus tells the story of a Samaritan that saw him and had compassion and did what he could do, uh, could do to help him. Jesus, really, in contrast to these elite religious antagonists, is the good Samaritan, full of compassion toward a neglected blind man's needs but also for years on this jericho road jews made their pilgrimage to passover in jerusalem the annual feast was going to take place shortly and as they travel along the jericho road they sang the psalms of ascent found in psalms 120 through 124 you heard two of those referred to prior to my coming up It was a difficult uphill journey, approximately 15 miles, and it was very dangerous. Often thieves were uh, lurking around this way, and they would rob people as they were making their way down this road to Jerusalem. We don't know how many years this blind man sat here and begged while the travelers passed by him singing these psalms of ascent, (laughs) but imagine what he may have heard through the years. Perhaps this very week he's hearing something like, In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me, Psalm 120. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so it is in this way, this context helps us to understand some background as we come to the healing of Bartimaeus. But not only is it providential, it's a very personal story. Verse 46 focuses on the personal faith of an individual beggar, Bartimaeus. He has a name. Mark gives him, excuse me, gives him a name. Perhaps because he was well known. I'm not going to take the time to reconcile the gospel accounts. Luke has one beggar, no name. Matthew has two beggars, no name. Seems all to point to one incident. It can be reconciled. I'll leave that to your private studies. But it's believed that many beggars line this road because of these pilgrims and the heavy traffic for Passover. Mark zeroes in on one of them. It's a personal encounter through a particular man's faith in Jesus. Both Bartimaeus and Jesus are using personal pronouns. Verse 52 refers to this story as a particular man's faith in coming to Christ. Now, faith is that steadfast reliance and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Paul said that the just shall live by faith. Now, this is not a theological treatise on faith, true as it is that regeneration precedes faith and there are other theological nuances to faith, we're going to look at this personal encounter from the perspective of this man coming to Christ. Practical elements, perhaps we could call it an anatomy of faith as they apply not only to his healing, but I believe especially to his conversion as a disciple of Jesus. Bartimaeus is in a deplorable state. His physical description is described to us as a blind beggar. He was sitting by the road. And that language implies this is where he continuously sat day after day, blind, begging, in a hopeless poverty. His cloak was laid out for collecting the money. And Jesus' disciples, a large crowd, are passing by it's a dusty road no doubt and all day long he can't see all he can hear are the voices and the trampling sounds of footsteps the world is for the most part shut out to Bartimaeus that's his physical condition but this is a personal story about a man who has a problem with his spiritual condition Poverty and blindness are often, in the scripture, associated with human depravity and inability. Mankind is at the mercy of God's saving ability and his willingness to forgive. There's a spiritual connection, especially between physical blindness and spiritual blindness, noted in passages such as 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. I'll read it in part the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so this story is a personal story, but it's personal for us as well. All of us must see ourselves in this story in one way or another. By nature, all of us are born blind. We're all poor and helpless and dependent beggars. Man born blind, but the problem is his blindness is of such a nature that he believes he has 20-20 vision. Apart from the new birth, we remain in our blindness. Apart from the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, we remain spiritually blind, dead in trespasses and sin. So all need to come to Jesus by faith in order to have blind eyes opened to the glorious gospel of Christ. And here are some practical elements of faith to help us understand just how practical faith is in coming to Christ. So let us consider Bartimaeus coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and note seven elements or facets of saving faith. Now, the first of those is the means of faith. And what I mean by the means of faith is simply the methods or the resources that led him to Christ. Verse 47 says, when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, Luke eighteen thirty-seven says, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked or he inquired what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was passing by. Saving faith is an informed faith. Knowledge of objective biblical truth is critical to faith. Faith comes by hearing. He apparently paid attention to conversations about spiritual matters. He asked questions. He knew about Jesus. He must have known that he had already healed before, even healed the blind Stories of teaching and healing were no doubt topics of conversation of those passing by. Perhaps he had heard of Lazarus being raised from the dead, not far from this location. He used biblical terms like son of David and Rabboni. Somehow he had put together a great deal of information about Jesus as the promised Messiah. That Messiah who would come to heal. And he learned that the great rabbi was passing by in this crowd. Now, let us learn a lesson before we move on. I would encourage you, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, if you're sitting along the side of the road, make diligent use of the means. Make diligent use of the resources, for in the means, Jesus is passing by. The Bible says, as I've already quoted in Romans ten seventeen, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Jesus is passing by every time the scriptures are preached, every time a prayer is offered, every time a tract or a book is handed out, every time someone witnesses, every time the hymns or songs are sung, every time a psalm is read, You are responsible and accountable and answerable. And so I would encourage you to learn from Bartimaeus. Don't let Jesus pass you by. His hearing of Jesus led to his coming to Jesus. He depended or he relied upon the means to bring him to faith. But not only that, we notice, second of all, the object of faith. And that, again is found in verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. As J.C. Ryle well said, what is the beginning of all saving faith, but a soul's venture on Christ. Bartimaeus knew of the Old Testament promises of Messiah, the long-expected Son of David. And he sees beyond the warrior king who would punish sinners and overthrow kings. He is crying for the Messiah who brings mercy and has healing in his wings. The object of his faith is Jesus of Nazareth. And so we learn a lesson here. Jesus is the only legitimate object of saving faith. There is no other, says Acts 4.12. And there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only legitimate object of faith. Faith in and of itself is no virtue. Faith must have an object and the object must be Christ. And Bartimaeus had no physical eyes, but he set his affections and his heart upon Christ. There are not many roads that lead to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And the religious scribes and Pharisees and priests were merely, for most part, the blind leading the blind. Jesus is passing by. Bartimaeus cannot see, but he sets his heart on the only worthy object of faith, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the son of David, the only one that has mercy for the forgiveness of your sins is Jesus. All other roads are false. All other saviors are frauds. There are not many roads that lead to God. There is one road, and the object of saving faith must be Jesus Christ alone. You need mercy. We all, dead in our sins, need mercy. And Jesus is passing by. Have you set your heart upon him and him alone? Have you cried out unto him and him alone? To those of us who know him, Christ is precious in the words of Peter. He's precious in our sight. But do you personally know him? Is he the sole object of your faith? You must face that question. If you're outside of Christ, but notice third of all, the persistence of faith, verse 48, many were sternly telling him to be quiet. In the ESV, it says many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. The opposition from the crowd was to prevent him from coming to Jesus. He is a nuisance as a handicapped person often is in many societies. And down and outers are in that particular society. Opposition, however, only inflames his persistence. He is desperate. Jesus is passing by. Why did he persist? He had gone... uh, 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 All of these years by that road. But he had one objective in mind. He needed mercy. He needed mercy. Nothing would discourage him from coming to Christ. Nothing. Verse 51 says that I may receive my sight. And to receive sight requires mercy from one who has the power to grant it. The fact that he cries for mercy implies that he knows he cannot change his condition of blindness his status as a poor beggar can only change if he can see with his eyes he can't work because he can't see he needs mercy he's a helpless dependent beggar he does not ask for wealth or power or fame or honor or even success he needs mercy and he realized his desperate need and placed himself on the mercy of christ in spite of opposition from the crowd In the vernacular of our day, basically what they were saying is shut up, be quiet, don't speak. Now, let us learn this lesson from the persistence of his faith. It's a long one, so I'll repeat it twice. True faith arises from a realization of one's helplessness. True faith arises from a realization of one's helplessness. And will allow nothing to hinder it until it rests in the mercy of Christ. In other words, out of helpless faith, there is a persistence. That seems like a contradiction. But we're looking at faith from a human perspective. We know, and if you were in the Sunday school class Uh, Pat taught on the the sovereignty of God in Ephesians 1, and that was peering down on all of the marvelous things from a sovereign perspective that God has done in redemption. But here we see that there is an element that is human. Faith, though it is a gift of God, it is persistent. Faith arises from a realization of one's helplessness. Some don't understand their human depravity. A cry for mercy implies helplessness and hopelessness. Romans 8, 6 through 8, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Listen, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot, cannot, cannot please God. You need to understand your helpless and hopeless condition. It's called depravity. But what if he just said, Jesus is passing by, but he's really too busy to stop for me? No, this was even more reason to plead with him. This may be his last opportunity. Unbelief might have said, but he's with a large crowd. His disciples are with him. He'll never hear my feeble cry. He might have said, everyone is against me. I guess I need to be quiet. No, he didn't do that. Instead, against the resistance of the multitude, he cries out even louder. And the cry of faith is demonstrated here, and it's needed. I wonder if we have missed this persistent, determined, pleading cry. in many who attempt to call... On Christ, it's a cry of desperation that Jesus heard—a man who must be heard. A cry that would not be stopped by the crowds. It's the wrestling of Jacob with the angel of the Lord until he is blessed. It's not. Well, do you know you're a sinner? Oh yeah. Have you ever told a lie? Oh yeah. Have you ever stolen a cookie? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, then you're a sinner. Okay, bow your head. Oh, Jesus, come into my heart. Okay, that's it. First John five thirteen. You're a Christian. You have assurance. Don't ever let anybody take that away from you. Uh, Faith cries out for mercy. The degree may be various in the experience of each believer, but if there's an understanding of one's helplessness and hopelessness, and out of that sense of helplessness and hopelessness, you allow nothing to hinder you until you rest in the mercy of Christ. When the world and the flesh and the devil interfere with the sinner coming to Jesus, out of his desperation, he cries even louder, more fervently, more tenaciously. Nothing will hinder his determination to be right with God, to have mercy for his sin-sick soul. Oh, that sinners would cry out for mercy as Jesus passes by. Some, especially the young Face peer pressure. Family and friends may not encourage you. Often uh, they're opposed to religion, to Christ, to the church, to the preacher, to the Bible. But may your faith be persistent, stopping at nothing until it rests in the mercy of Christ. Some may say, My sin is too great, but Jesus is greater than all of your sins. There's nothing that can keep you from Him except your unbelief, your love of sin, your refusal to come. Jesus is passing by right now. No matter what or who tries to persuade you to the contrary, I would encourage you, if you're outside of Christ, lay hold of Jesus today, now, even this very moment. Do you remember when Paul preached on Mars Hill in Athens? Some said, we shall hear you again concerning this. Basically, they said, we'll put it off for a more convenient time. Paul confronted the ruler Felix with righteousness and self-control and judgment to come. Felix said, the Bible says about Felix, he became frightened and said, go away for the present and when I find time, I will summon you. But it doesn't work that way. Not from the human perspective. You can say, well, you know, I'll just wait and see if I'm elect or I'll just... No, no, it doesn't work that way. You must come to Christ. It is you that must respond to the call. And there is no guarantee that Jesus will pass by again. There's no more convenient time than now. And faith is persistent and will press on through every objection and every obstacle until it finds its rest in Jesus. As Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Consider, as far as we know, Jesus had never been to Jericho in all of his journeys. This is the one and only time, and historically speaking and humanly speaking, this is the only opportunity this man would ever have in this life to have an encounter with Jesus. But now notice... It is believed, as I said, many beggars line this road. Fourth of all, I want you to notice the personal call of faith. Verse 49 and verse 51. Verse 49, Jesus stops. Literally, Jesus stood still. In the words of one commentator, on those words hangs the fate of Bartimaeus. You see, it's not all from the human perspective. Out of a crowd of beggars along the side of the road, Jesus stops and stands there for one single sinner. He was leading the disciples with a determined bent towards Jerusalem. He had a divine appointment that drove him like a flint toward the city of destiny. The sorrow that awaits him must be heavy upon his heart. The shadow of the cross is now pointing to Golgotha's brow some 15 miles up that hill and through the gates of Jerusalem. But Jesus takes the role of the good Samaritan. He stops and he takes charge for one man named Bartimaeus. This is the sovereign Lord. Think about it. The framer of the world's. He stood on the edge of eternity and time and he spoke the world into existence. He made the moon and the sun and the stars, and by him the worlds are held together. He caused the midday sun to stand still at the battle of Gibeon, and Jesus the Son of God stood still at this moment for one sinner. One sinner in need of mercy. Amazing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Notice how Jesus deals with him in a very personal way. He's not an object of contempt. He's not a social problem or a victim of his circumstances. He is a person, verse 51. What will you have me to do for you? Jesus is there standing still. Matthew adds that Jesus was moved with compassion. He always has time to meet the personal cries of the needy. Not only in this personal call of faith do we notice that Jesus stopped, but notice also that Jesus summons. This is in verse 49. Jesus stopped and said, call him here. It's in the imperative. He commanded him to be called, the King James Version says. In other words, call him at once. So they call to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Three times we find this word call used in this context. Verse 51, what do you want me to do? Jesus passing by, Bartimaeus hears this personal call of faith. Jesus stops and Jesus summons or calls. And so I would say by way of, application or this lesson learn today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts hebrews three verses seven and eight jesus is passing by and he's calling now there are two calls as you know theologically speaking there is that general call that goes out come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest that's the general call all of you here are hearing that general call. Hopefully, someone said there was somebody sleeping in the last service. It was it's pretty early. <laughs> you all look very awake. I'm assuming you hear. But there is that effectual call, isn't there? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. It's personal and it's intimate, and they follow me. John 10:27. Have you responded to that call? Notice. He responded. He responded. Verse 50, and this is our fifth point the response of faith. Notice this. And casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. He threw aside his garment. We wonder if that detail is significant, and I don't want to make too much out of it, but I know if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, it tells us that that cloak, that outer cloak, was very, very important. The law would not allow anyone to keep a man's cloak taken in a pledge after sundown. He needed it to stay warm at night when he went to sleep. This beggar needed his cloak in order to collect the monies. He laid it out there, and that's where the coins were thrown. He throws it off. Jumping up. Coins scattering everywhere, no doubt. In a sense, it was all he had. What the rich ruler failed to give up in all of his wealth. This man, in effect, gave up the equivalent of all that he had to come to Jesus. No hesitation. This is his response. With eagerness. He's not missing this opportunity. Jesus is passing by. And this is the only remedy for his condition. Now learn a lesson here before we move on. This is a long one. I'm just going to read it for you. Challenge you to think about it. How many excuses, worldly attachments, misguided priorities, misspent opportunities have kept sinners from coming to Christ by faith? You think about it. Excuses, worldly attachments, misguided priorities, misspent opportunities, keeping you from Christ. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Some think that death is the tragedy. No, death is not the tragedy. The ultimate tragedy is it is appointed unto man once to die and after this, the tragedy. After this, the judgment. That's the tragedy. Jesus, passing by, Christ preached to you clearly, you listening, though I'm a feeble man, not eloquent in words perhaps, but Jesus passes by in the proclamation of the word. Why would you let excuses and worldly attachments and misguided priorities and misspent opportunities keep you from coming to Christ? Well, notice sixth of all, the promise of faith. Verses 51 and 52a. So Jesus answered him and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And immediately he received a sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. That I may receive my sight is basically an open confession of faith in the ability of Jesus and Jesus alone to heal him. Now notice it's not because of his faith. Even though he says your faith, we know as we survey the scriptures and understand systematic theology and a whole bunch of other things that I'm not telling you this morning, it's not because of faith, but it is through the means of faith. But it is your faith, though it's the gift of God, your faith comes and embraces christ and there's a promise in that through the means of faith he has confidence in the power of jesus to meet his need and at that moment he received his physical sight the text says your faith has made you well he was healed but i believe that there was more than the physical healing i believe that he received his spiritual sight Made you well. If you notice in the margin of your Bible, it may say literally has saved you. It's from the Greek word sozo, which also means saved. And I believe there's a double meaning taking place here. (coughs) Jesus's healings were to attest that he was indeed the son of God. But he could also say, uh, he could say, take up your bed and walk, but also say your sins are forgiven you. Healing was more than just a demonstration of his power and his authority and an attestation of who he was, but this was the means by which Jesus also reached into the heart of sinful men and brought them to himself. And here it appears there's a combining of physical and spiritual healing. Physical and spiritual blindness are both restored. Healing and forgiveness of sins work hand in hand, often in the gospel. John Calvin is not alone when he says this, and I quote, And therefore, when Christ says, Thy faith has saved thee, the word saved is not limited to an outward cure, but includes also the health and safety of the soul. It follows, says Calvin, that he was justified by faith. Commentator Hebert, quoting an old Puritan, says basically what happened outwardly to his eyes was an outward picture of what happened inwardly to his soul. Faith has made him whole, not just in his body, but but also was the means of saving his very soul. Through faith, mercy came to the blind man that day. And while many remain in darkness, he was able to see not only with his eyes, but his heart was opened to the glories of Christ. He acknowledged Jesus as Messiah. Jesus means Savior. He called him the Son of David. That's a term for the Messiah who was to come and save his people from their sins. He uses a term that is rare in the scriptures, Rabboni, which implies more reverence than just the simple word for master or teacher, which is rabbi. Rarely this word is used uh, for humanity and it's often used in addressing God in prayer. It indicates a higher estimation of Jesus than just a mere ordinary man. As a matter of fact, Luke in his account, rather than using the word Rabboni, says this, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And some scholars see Rabboni as an equivalent to Lord. At least it means my Lord and my Master and so in acknowledging Jesus as his lord and savior through faith he is saved this is the promise of faith learn a lesson before we move on to our concluding points simply from the scriptures romans 10:13 the promise of this the promise of faith is this whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved John 6, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. And so by faith, Bartimaeus received the promise. Jesus was passing by. Jesus is now passing by. Have you called upon him? Has your faith made you well? Or are you still remaining in your sins? In the words of William Lane, the commentator, whoever like this blind beggar in consciousness of his own misery and believing in Jesus cries to him wholeheartedly will just as assuredly be healed of spiritual blindness through his word of power. And to that I would say, amen. As we look at this final point, consider the obedience of faith. And that's found in verse 52. And he began following him on the road. The tense is he kept on following. He became a permanent disciple. His sheep hear his voice, and his sheep follow him. His obedience was not such, and this is important, it was not such that it merited his salvation, but it was the fruit or evidence of his salvation. He was not justified by his obedience, but his obedience was a result of his being justified. He became a true disciple. Now, some jump up, but they do not follow. Some have gone forward in an invitation, perhaps, said a prayer. And are never again known as followers of Jesus. This man is no longer sitting by the road where Jesus is passing by. He's moved from sitting by the road to following Jesus on the road. And if you read the Gospel of Mark, you'll find that phrase, on the road, is very significant. It's the way, it's the road. The difference in his position beside the road at the first and on the road in the end signifies the difference between being an outsider and an insider, a bystander and a disciple. And so I would ask you again, which are you? You must face the question. (laughs) You probably wonder, well, gee, this is Omaha Bible Church. We're all Christians. That's a Bible church. But I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones said to a lady. (coughs) They usually had most of their unconverted people come to the evening service. It's very opposite in the uh, Western churches. Usually visitors and unconverted people come to the morning service. But the woman came to him one time after preaching and says, you know, Dr. Jones, I love it. You preach to us in the morning like we're saints and you preach to us in the evening like we're sinners. And in that way, Lloyd-Jones made sure he covered the bases. (laughs) And so... This morning, we're covering the bases. With this newfound eyesight, what does he want to behold? If you were blind and you had encountered Jesus, what would be the thing you would want to see first and foremost of all? The mountains that are green, the blue skies, uh, the green grass around you? Would you love to run home and see your family's faces for the first time? Sure, all of those things would reside in our hearts. But notice this man who wants to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist said. There's one thing this poor blind beggar now longs for. And he wants to behold the one who opened his eyes. He jumps up and begins to follow Jesus And as I see for the first time, the Lamb of God. Let us learn this final lesson as we close. Faith that does not lead to discipleship, and this is in the words of a commentator, Edwards. Faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. Whoever asks of Jesus must be willing to follow Jesus, even on the uphill road to the cross. Faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. When spiritual blindness is cured, there's a response, and it is generally noted by a pursuit after Christ. To Matthew, in his toll booth, minding his lust and his love for money, was encountered by Christ with these simple words, follow me. And he threw down everything and followed him. To the disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, Jesus said he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here is the sum total of basically all that Mark has been saying throughout his entire gospel The one that is healed of his blindness, but not of his spiritual blindness, may die and go to hell and perish forever. You can go into heaven with your eyes blind. You can go into hell with your eyes opened. But this man had his eyes open. But the most important thing was that his heart for the first time was opened to the mercies and to the grace of God. This man in his destitute state has thrown down his cloak and whatever coins he had collected were thrown aside and he jumped up and he followed Jesus. And this all began by realizing his desperate need for mercy. He called upon Jesus, the Messiah, the only remedy to his need. He finished by a determined loyalty to Jesus. This is a fitting summary, as I said, to that statement. Jesus came to be a ransom for many. And Bartimaeus was among the many. That is a glorious thought as we think of John Newton who sang Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found. Was blind but now I see. Praise be unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Do you know Him? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the grace of God. It causes us who are saved, converted to Christ, to be praiseworthy to you, to give you all the glory, to give you the honor, because we know that we owe it all to you. And it helps us to be thankful day by day. And I pray, dear Lord, that the word of God has been effective to those who are saved and to those who are not. All for the glory of our God and Savior through Jesus Christ and for the good of his people, I pray. Amen.